you, Brian, for leading us in worship, and I'm going to open us in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this time where we can tell you again, together with other believers, and even in the privacy of our own hearts at the same time, that you alone are our all in all, our ultimate treasure, our supreme joy, our great redeemer. So we thank you for that. And thank you that you've entrusted us with this message we call the gospel. We get excited talking about the advance of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. And Lord, we celebrate it. It gives us reason to worship you, but it also gives us an assignment throughout the week to take this message to our neighborhoods, to our our campuses here in southeast Michigan, to take with us on the road. And it also gives us a reason to be involved in missions. We have not just a message to share, we have the message to share. And you've given us all different pulpits. Some pulpits are are like the one I'm standing at now that I do exposition from. Others have pulpits that uh, look like an airplane mechanic or a coffee roaster or a teacher or a doctor or nurse or agriculture. And these become our creative pulpits to get into the nations and share the gospel. So, Lord, thank you for this message that we've just sung. and It's everything to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Take your Bibles, please, and open to Ephesians chapter 4 with me this evening. Ephesians chapter 4. I think my clicker's on. Maybe it's not. Let's see. There we go. Nope. There we go, fantastic. Ephesians chapter 4. And follow along as I read verses 7 through 16. I'm reading from the New American Standard as normal, but I have with me the most current edition of it, the 2020 edition, which is a slightly, it's slightly different than what's in the pews, but don't let the changes uh, throw you. Let them help you interpret. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he, Jesus, ascended on high, he led captive the captives and he gave gifts to people. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. You say, what does that mean? Let me just suggest to you that, to simplify that, that's talking about his incarnation, his coming to the lower parts of creation, to earth. And this also talks about his, not only his resurrection, but ultimately his ascension to where he sits in this moment at the Father's right hand, which isn't in some faraway galaxy we can't see with telescope. He, he, somehow he's with us. He's indwelling us. This realm is, is, is closer than you can imagine to us. As a matter of fact, I was reading in my devotions this week in the Sermon on the Mount, and when Jesus is teaching in Matthew 6 about how to pray, he, he says three times, your Father who sees in secret. That's how close he is to you. So our Lord is ascended to the Father's right hand, but he's here with us at the same time, and it blows our, our finite minds to, to process that. But our, our Lord, who has defeated death, And he's ascended to the Father's right hand. 
is yet busy in our midst. And that's where we pick up in verse 11. And he, Jesus, gave some as apostles and some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. For what purpose? It says here, um, for this purpose, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. What's the end game? Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of people, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. No, we speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. An amazing passage. I, I call uh, verses 1 through 16 of Ephesians 4, the blueprint of the church. This is what is going on right now and why it, what it's flowing out of, what its goal is right now with each one of us and what's the end game of verse 16. This is the blueprint of the work of the New Testament church in our generation. We come here often to this text because Ephesians 4 is precious to us as a church family because our church mission flows out of this text. Out in the lobby here, we have our mission statement, which we want you to read every time you go by it. It says that we as a church family exist to, to glorify God by making disciples in a community of grace. And we spend a lot of time dissecting that frequently. As a matter of fact, last year I just taught through for the second time in seven years what the four-direction disciple is. And I will revisit that every couple of years. If we say that's what a disciple is, how we understand it, then we need to be familiar with it and own it. But what I want to do this evening, especially with the visit uh, coming next Sunday, all day long, with Aaron and Susan Shryock as candidates for our missionary family and coming to you with the full um, approval and endorsement of, of m myself, but even more so, the missions committee. It was unanimous. Um, we're excited for this visit, but we want you to be ready for it. We want you to read the packet that we've put together for you, and uh, we want you to, to be excited about this work, to have some understanding as you come in so you can hear his answers against the backdrop of what you've already started to understand about him, maybe informing good questions you could ask that would help the rest of the church get to know him and think through things. So that's important, but I wanted to spend tonight, since we're going to be in this room on this stage with him and his wife and his daughters one week from this hour, um, let's get ready for that. And it was important for me in my heart to bring to you our missions policy this evening. This missions policy is new within the last five years, uh, uh, six to f five to six years. Uh, it's something that uh, is operating in our midst. It's something that when we finished it as a missions committee, I did teach through um, the missions policy to, to show you what the deacons had also been through after the missions policy, this is how we're doing missions here. 
and we've kept that promise. But that was a long time ago that I reminded you of this policy and what the details are. I think it's exciting. I think it teaches easily. Um, but I want to bring it to you again this evening. Why? For a couple of reasons. First of all, just as we regularly review the Four Direction Disciple, we need to regularly review the heart of our missions program, which has been a huge part of our church for over 80 years. And this is the policy that's, that's directing us at this point in our church's history. If, and this grows out of our four-direction disciple philosophy. Another reason I want to do this with you this evening is because we have had, by God's grace and to his glory, a very thick layer of new members since we last went through this. A thick layer. I mean, I could just say in the last nine months we've had a thick layer, um, almost 20 new members, but uh, um, if you go back to pre-COVID, that, that's going to put a whole, a whole lot more on this that have never heard this before. And you need, to be, you need to be familiar with this going into next week. A third reason I want to go through this with you this evening is, and <laughs> I just won't be ashamed of saying this or try to, try to veil it anyway, it's God's call in your life. Going through a, a how we do missions here at Calvary, I have been praying, would be just another nudge in the lives of some of you, no matter what chapter you're in in life, whether you're going into college, whether you're in college, whether you're in midlife, or whether you're facing retirement. This is a, a, an unabashedly bold call for you to consider missions. And as you're sending church, we would get excited about that, and we would get behind you. I want to show you how much we'd get behind you by going through this. A fourth reason I want to do this, I've already mentioned, it's the Shriok visit next week, but there's a, there's a fifth reason, too, as to why I want to go through this with you this evening, and I just call it the kingdom advance. We read in the Gospels of the good news of the kingdom. The king has come, and he says the kingdom of God is at hand. What that means, if you have a kingdom, is you have a king, you have subjects, you have enemies to that king, you have a realm, and you have a throne, and and this is good news that Jesus gave us to preach. Now, um, I believe that the kingdom ultimately will be for a thousand years on the Davidic throne on earth. I would be premillennial in that sense, as our church historically has been. But the king right now is, is calling out to himself for people that he redeems. And, and uh, if, let me just say this, that the advance of the kingdom, so that more people get saved, not only in our neighborhoods, but also the nations, the advance of the kingdom is either going to be handled in one of two ways. Number one, it's going to be really an organized and objective advance on our part as far as how we plan for it, or the other option is to be haphazard and subjective. Well, God just led me to do this, and I'm just going to see what comes together. And as I read scripture, I see that if we're going to be involved in the advance of the gospel, the advance of the kingdom through our neighborhoods out to the nations, it's going to need to be organized. It's worthy of being organized, this kingdom message we have. And it's going to be objective. It's going to be, we're going to be informed how to do this from outside of ourselves, not being driven by hunches, subjective hunches and haphazard um, approaches. So I think the kingdom advance is worthy of an organized approach. And I think that's in our, what our Lord said in Acts 1.8. He laid it out in an organized way. You're going to be my witnesses. You're going to start in Jerusalem, then move out to Judea, then Samaria, then the uttermost parts of the earth. That, has, that screams organization and, and an understanding of your trajectory. 
your goal. It's in the assignment. So I, uh, I want to go through this with you this evening. Don't try to take notes. Just kind of take this in. This will be online as well. But uh, I want to talk to you about our missions program here. It was, our church was established in the middle of the last century upon the foundation of world evangelism. It's been near and dear to our hearts. It was what was behind the bus ministry all those years and the Christian school ministry. The gospel is our heartbeat. And, and after all, this is what is called the Great Commission. It's Christ's last command, and it's our first concern, as it's been said. His last command is our first concern. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Make disciples. Jesus came and spoke to his disciples, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. There's that concept that he's, he's like right here. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So the heartbeat of the Great Commission is disciple-making. Discipleship is not a separate category from evangelism. I hope you understand that evangelism is the beginning of discipleship. You make disciples by giving them the good news and the Spirit of God works in their heart, gives them faith and repentance, and now your, your task is not over, it's just getting started. Now you, the goal of discipleship is Christ-likeness. And as a church family, we believe that Ephesians 4.13 provides the essentials that are true for any growing disciple. Say, well, I don't know how to disciple someone. You disciple them in this way. You take them to Ephesians 4.13, and, and look at this verse again. Until we all, that means for all of us, we have the same goal of growth as a disciple. Until we all attain to three things. The unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, and to a, a mature man, the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. See, what does that mean? It means this, that a growing disciple hungers for, first of all, Christ-centered doctrine. That's the unity of the faith. Uh, doctrine matters. The Word matters. And as he goes into the Word, he sees the glory of Christ and the ultimate glory of the Father in redemption. He hungers for Christ-centered doctrine. But then there's a next phrase, the knowledge of the Son of God. What is that? A growing disciple demonstrates a Christ-word passion. They want to know Jesus since he's right here, since he's in you. We want to know him, not just know about him. We want to passionately enjoy him. And then there's a third thing that a disciple grows in. It's, number, it's in that phrase, to a mature man in verse 13. That means he radiates, she radiates a Christ-like brilliance. As if with the passing of time, he or she becomes more like Jesus. So what does a growing disciple look like? They hunger for Christ-centered doctrine. They demonstrate a Christ-like passion. And they radiate a Christ-like brilliance. And here's where we make the step from that verse to our rubric we have here as a church, the 4D rubric. You show me an Ephesians 4.13 disciple who's growing in Christ-centered passion, a Christ-like, uh, a Christ-centered doctrine, Christ-like passion, and a, and a Christ-word brilliance, and I'll show you a disciple. I'll show you a guy, I'll show you a lady who's not going to sit still as a disciple. They're going to be on the move and I think it is in four distinct directions. We call this the four-direction disciple. You see at the center of this 
graph is, or this uh, chart is Ephesians 4.13. And we see that the first direction that a growing disciple moves is up towards God as a worshiper. Our main text for that that we unpack when we go through the four-direction disciple is what our Lord says in John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, when he's giving the good news to the Samaritan woman. He says, God is a spirit. God's seeking worshipers. Those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. Remember those two verses? And then we found out that when we were studying that, since God is a spirit, that means that God is everywhere. And if God is everywhere, listen, worship is all the time, not just in the 90 minutes on Saturday or Sunday morning. It's a matter of obedience in addition to exaltation. And so we, un, we, 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 we believe that the first direction a person grows is as a worshiper. It's the first great command, love the Lord your God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. But like the first great command, as we are growing as a worshiper, it spills over into our other relationships, just like the second great command. second great command says, love your neighbor as yourself. We believe that the second great, or the second disciple direction, as you grow t- Uh, towards God as a worshiper, number one, is number two, you grow towards all men in your life as a servant. Whether that person is saved or unsaved, you enter their space in a way to serve them. And our main verse here is Matthew 20, verse 28, where Jesus says to his disciples, even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And we go to the end of Thessalonians, we go to the end of Galatians, and we find that we are to be a servant of all men, especially of those who believe. But there's a, you, you see what that verse says, what Paul says there. We serve all men, but we notice there's a distinction. We, we're serving the unsaved and the saved. And that distinction in us kind of gives birth to the third direction that a disciple grows in. Number one, they grow towards God as a worshiper. Number two, they grow towards all men as a servant. But then they realize the best way I can serve an unbeliever in my life is this direction number three, and it's that of being a witness to them. And our main verse for that is Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the, the great commission that I just quoted to you from our Lord to his disciples before his ascension. You'll be my witnesses. Now, we say, well, what's left? There's only one direction left. One is towards God. Two is to all people. Three is to the lost. What's four? Four is to... Anyone that God brings within your reach that you can affect in the context of of a local church. Direction number four is to be a discipler, either of people that you lead to Christ or people that in God's providence, they come into your life and need to be encouraged. They need to be discipled. That's your job. You're a growing disciple. Um, And we even make the, the, uh, the statement when we study this as a church that if if I'm not discipling someone, if I'm not having at any point an impact in someone else's life to grow in their faith, I myself am not acting like a disciple. Because disciples disciple. And our main text here is where we started this evening. It's Matthew 28, 18 through 20, make disciples. And this chart here, this just directs what we try to accomplish in our men's ministry and our ministries here at the church. We want to glorify God by making disciples who are growing as worshipers, servants, witnesses, and disciplers of others. And we're doing that in a context of a community of grace. We believe that, and it drives everything. So that brings us to this topic of missions. This topic of missions. 
with a focus on worldwide disciple-making, Calvary Baptist Church holds a six-point priority grid. And we use this grid to evaluate potential mission fields and potential missionary candidates. And in each of these priorities, the the emphasis must be consistent with our four-direction disciple philosophy. Now, we have found in the six, five or six years that we've been operating under this policy that this has created a couple of things for us as a missions committee. It's created an amazing balance of our missionary family. We're not heavy in just one category. We, uh, as a committee, identified six categories that we want to become proficient with when it comes to missions as a church family. The first thing we did after we drew up these six uh, priorities is we put we went through our existing missionary family at that time and and put every one of them in one of these six columns. Now some of the columns will bleed together and you understand that, but it really showed us. Listen, where we had maybe been loaded a little heavily in some categories, in other categories, we had some work to do. We might have only had one or two missionary units under these grid, on some of the the the, uh, the grid categories. You say, what are the six? points of this priority grid. Let me just zip through these real quick to remind you. First of all, there's national training. See, what's national training? We believe it's critical for gifted and trained Bible teachers to train born-again, maturing nationals, molding them into Christian leaders to evangelize their own countrymen and plant indigenous local churches. That's the end game. Training nationals. How is this done on the mission field? This might show up as you serving as a missionary, as, as a teacher in a Bible institute or in a seminary, or you going and conducting uh, seminary-type conferences to train nationals who come for seasons of special training. Uh, you might have a radio ministry that over the airwaves or, or through the Internet uh, provides significant training in theology and church history and things that are important as we want to train leaders. And uh, we, we get this from verses like 2 Timothy 2, 2, which says, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trustees to faithful men who will be, be able to teach others also. So this is a big priority. This is one of the six. Another one is what we call pioneer support. And again, I want to give you the wording of this, uh, this description here from our missions policy. Many disciple-making ministries are already underway in the mission fields around the world. One of the main goals of these ministries must be the development of nationals who will evangelize and lead the churches. But it often takes a long season of time to get to the point of turning the work over to nationals. We have to wait until they're mature, Titus 1.5. Hence, auxiliary support is needed for these missionaries while the work matures. There's got to be a... um, a scaffolding supporting these missionaries and their families while they do this work in these countries. Missionaries such as teachers that can help with the missionary children. Pilots to transfer the missionaries to different, uh, to access different villages. Medical professionals that will actually bring the villagers in or out from them, out from the, the, the bush, if you will, if you're in Indonesia and saw what I saw. If you're, if you're a medical professional, they'll come to you. And you also provide medical care for these missionaries. Um, mechanics, plane mechanics, car mechanics. It's, you know, um, it's, this is what 
uh, the Bradys are doing right now in Portugal. There's work going on there. There is an indigenous uh, layer to that work already, but Mark and Charlene are there supporting those who are doing this work of training and teaching and discipling. That's pioneer support. And this is where I just want to lean heavily on you as your pastor. I don't know what your lane is, what your skill set is, but there's something on the mission field, if God's moving you in that direction, that will take a hold of your interest and your training and your skill set and perhaps use it in a pioneer support capacity on the mission field. You saw that with the Hamiltons, didn't you, with a pilot who knew how to disciple people as well. Well, there's a third priority grid, and this one's very important as we swing into next weekend. It's Bible translation. And our policy says, as the Bible gives us a glimpse at the future in heaven, we clearly see that people from all languages are present. They sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And our policy says, clearly, however, multitudes of people groups, languages, and dialects today do not possess the scriptures. The ministry of Bible translation is greatly needed in the present. And scripture has paved the way for evangelism, discipleship, and the planting of local churches. Got to have the Bible. Now, you're going to, you're going to, this missionary you're going to meet next week. If you've already read his packet, you know where I'm going with this. This guy is at the pointy end of the spear in this. I mean, Master's Seminary has been key in training men to do this kind of translating work, as has Detroit Seminary, uh, Ankeny Seminary, all the good seminaries out there, the solid ones, they've been doing this. But this guy was handpicked when they started their Bible translating emphasis at the seminary. He was handpicked by the leadership of the Master's Seminary and Grace Community Church to start that out. And that wasn't enough for him, so he is actually on, in, on the field doing this kind of work. And you'll find it fascinating to hear him talk about this. Very important. Number four, what's another priority grid? Uh, we call it creative access. This isn't unique to us, but we like to talk about the 1040 window. You've heard of that. That's been in our vernacular for a long time in missions and conservative churches right now. I'm just going to, you say, what's the 1040 window? Let me let a man named uh, Lewis Bush describe it to you. The core of the unreached people of our world lives in a rectangular-shaped window. It is a belt that extends from West Africa across Asia between 10 degrees north to 40 degrees north of the equator. While this is only one-third of the Earth's total land area, listen to this, almost two-thirds of the people in the world live there. These people live in 64 countries, when the 55 most unevangelized countries are overlaid upon the countries in the 1040 window, we, we immediately see a very close fit. In fact, 97% of the 3 billion people who live in the 55 most unevangelized countries live in the 1040 window. This constitutes the core of the challenge of reaching the unreached. So we want people that, that are willing to get creative to get to some of these countries where normally you, ca you can't get in as a missionary. You're not allowed in. And so you say, well, what happens then? Well, we help them gain creative access. We want to make sure they're, they're trained appropriately for the task of evangelism and culture and how to move safely and cleanly in that culture as a person of light. But you have to do it behind a different pulpit, like... Um, 
uh, a country that wouldn't let you in as a missionary will let you in as a medical professional or as an engineer or as orphanage leadership or as an English teacher or an or agricultural specialist or an athletic specialist, even an aviation specialist, and I could go on and on. The label tent makers is taken from Paul's example of holding down a secular job in order to reach the people throughout the book of Acts, starting with Acts chapter 18. Number five, church planting. You knew this had to be in our priority grid. This is simply um, uh, planting churches where it is needed with the end goal being of uh, these nationals that we trained under number one taking over the leadership of these churches that we've planted in their countries, in their villages. That's pretty straightforward. And then number six, this was interesting when I got to explain it. We didn't know what else to call it, but this, domestic specialties. See, what are domestic specialties? Worldwide missions not only means across the ocean, but also in our own country, even in our own region. We desire to support focused gospel-related efforts that are beyond, listen, they're beyond the scope and the personnel and the resources of our own Calvary family. And we can all have a, a, a burden for um, a battered woman's shelter where a woman is being, and, and, a ch and children are being exposed to domestic abuse. We're going to provide them biblical counseling. We can do that, and we're going to work with the police. We can do that, but where do they live during this time until we see if reconciliation is going to happen, if possible? This could take months. Where will they live safely, and who will provide that? We can have a big burden for that, and I do, but we can't, we can't open it up here unless you're ready to resign your job and come and run that. But why would we not partner with some other churches or, or identify some safe houses like that in our community and help support them and volunteer them? These are, what we don't know what else to call it, but domestic specialties. Other examples would be a rescue mission. I remember I was eating one day over at Luca's for lunch, which happens like once a week. Uh, that's my office annex, right, uh, if you want good eggs. And... Uh, I forgot who I was eating with, but I noticed the guy at the table, he was uh, older than I was. Um, I don't know, he was reading a book or a Bible or something. It just caught my eye. So when I went to check out, you know, he, um, the guy I was with left. And then I just went over and started talking to this guy. I said, hey, tell me your story. What are you reading? I, I, I'm, a, I'm familiar with that book. And, and, and it's a guy, I would say, is a philanthropist. Um, very gracious man, soft-spoken, and he immediately got to what he was burdened about as a Christian. I believe he was regenerated. And he wants to see a rescue mission right here in Ypsilanti. And I'm like, man, I'd love that too. That's, the, that's one of the things I miss from uh, Virginia Beach area is the Norfolk um, Union Mission is what it was called. They preach the evangelical gospel very clearly. They have shelters for battered women. They have a, a residency program for substance abuse. Um, they have day camps that our church people would work at in the summer, volunteer. It just created a plethora of, of volunteer opportunities for gospel ministry and services that we weren't equipped and staffed as a church to offer the community. Why would we not line up with someone like that? These are equipping ministries that train you perhaps in biblical counseling or personal evangelism. These can be Christian camps, Christian colleges, seminaries, orphanages. It could be curriculum development, prison ministries, special needs ministries, crisis pregnancy centers, etc. 
These are our priority grids. And like I said, once we identify those, we broke our whole missions family down and, and, and populated this chart. And, and we found that we were thin on some and pretty heavy on others. And it caused us as a church missions committee to get much more intentional. We weren't just going to respond to the many phone calls we get from missionaries wanting to raise support. We are now the ones pursuing. When we wanted to, um, to, to get so, a, a creative access thing, then, we, then I start calling some people. We start calling some people that we know can give us some recommendations. We become the pursuers when it comes to missions, and that has been fun. So that's, those are our priority grids. Now you say, well, what, what, are the, what is the criteria for CBC missionary candidates? And this is coming from our committee as well, our policy. With both our disciple-making emphasis and our world missions priorities firmly in place, we therefore must pass each potential missionary candidate through the evaluation checklist before we would pursue investigating them for support. Specifically, any missionary our CBC family would consider for support must pass these criteria. Number one, what we just went through. They, we have to be able to explain where they're going to fit in what we are burdened for in world missions as a church, that priority grid. And, uh, and, and it's not hard because that grid is what's sending us out to look for people that will fit that. Number two, there needs to be to a pretty close extent doctrinal agreement. They should be in agreement with the theology reflected in our doctrinal statement and close to the premillennial edition of the New Hampshire Confession of Faith. You say, what in the world is that? We're getting ready to tell you all that when we revise our doctrinal statement or our constitution. Hang on. Um, in saying that there needs to be close agreement with us doctrinally, that's also communicating that they don't embrace any doctrinal positions or practices which are inconsistent uh, in a big way with what we, we hold dear here. They need to have had appropriate training for what they want to do on the field. Missionary candidates must be appropriately trained for their focus, even when it comes to pastoring. Our, uh, Paul told Titus in Titus 1.9, these people that want to be, or that we want to be leaders, pastoral leaders in the church, must be able to handle the word. That's just an example. He or she must also have an appropriate level of education for their focus. For those who will be teaching in the, on the undergraduate or graduate level, a master's degree or its equivalent is preferred, not required. Exceptions, are, of course, will be considered by the committee. Um, we also want to see that they are active members and have been discipled in a church like ours. Uh, that they have had. We also want to consider what informal training they've had within their church to prepare them for missions. We want to look at unique aspects of their particular field that they need to be schooled in as far as culture. Have they participated in any certificate programs like biblical counseling or personal evangelism? Um, and what's their prior ministry experience? We take all that into consideration. Now, we just don't want a good intention to go out is what we're saying with number three. There needs to be sufficient training to assure that you'll hit the ground and, and, and you're still going to learn a lot on the ground, but you're going in with a level of training. Number four, ministerial ordination. This, of course, applies to the, to the man who will serve as a pastor or a church planner on the field. We would want him to be ordained out of his local church to do that. It's submitting himself to the rigors of a doctrinal, philosophical, and methodological examination by the church that knows him best. Number five, they need to be under a mission board, no lone rangers. 
and uh, all CBC missionaries will serve under a board for accountability and the support that they give to the church. The board itself is going to need to be scrutinized as far as their doctrine and their philosophy of ministry, how they handle finances, etc. And then one more, uh, there needs to be personal integrity. Of course, that goes without saying, but we want to say it. Uh, the missionary must be a man or woman above reproach in all ethical, financial, moral, and ministerial matters. Any failures in their past will have been biblically dealt with. So, um, that's what we look for in a missionary that we pursue based on our strategy, our, our priorities. Now, let's say we find a candidate like that, bring that candidate to the church, and the church chooses to put them into the missionary family. And we're excited. We vetted them as best as we could. We've prayed with them, and we continue to get to know them well. But if what if there's a change in one of those um, down the road? In such case, CBC reserves the right to reevaluate and, if need be, either suspend or cease missionary support upon the recommendation of the missions committee, pastors, and deacons. And the final congregation, or the final decision would be made by the congregation. I mean, you're in, but there's an accountability now to us. So what's the candidate process? You need to know this going into next Sunday, um, because we believe we found a family that fits all of that uh, in a wonderful and gracious way. What's the process look like? Several steps. First of all, the info usually comes to pastors through the mail or through phone calls, or the pastors are the ones that initiate, help initiate contacts. For example, I think we got five or six potential candidates for the current pursuit we're doing, Bible translators, and I just handed them to Andy and Aaron uh, to take the mission to farm out to the missionary committee, and they did the work, they did the research. I'm I attend those meetings. I'm ex officio mat, uh, member of the missions committee, but I'm a non-voting member. Uh, the missions committee is doing a tremendous job. So we get information, and then we go to step two. Uh, um, if, we, if we like what we see, we might make a recommendation, and then there are some names that we don't pass on to the missions committee, especially stuff that comes in the mail. And it might be because of a, a doctrinal position we don't share with them, a significant one or, or philosophical thing. Uh, what's step three? The missions committee uh, will periodically meet as a body to evaluate candidate information received. These evaluations uh, are done according to the priorities and criteria set forth in our philosophy. Number four, if the missions committee agrees to the candidate, which only requires a, uh, a majority vote, uh, they will contact the candidate to set up an interview. Usually that's in person or through Zoom. Upon a satisfactory interview, the missions committee may invite the candidate to present their work to the CBC family. The deacons will be informed of this decision as well. That's where we stand right now. Uh, that invitation has gone out to the Shryocks, and it was 100%, um, way more than just a majority. See, what happens then? Next Sunday, that's what happens. The candidate presents his or her work to the CBC family. The missions committee will be responsible for the housing and meals for the visit. They also provide the candidate with a copy of this packet. He's read through this packet and is very appreciative of the thought. A lot of, I guess a lot of churches don't do this. I'm hearing that. And Aaron, you and I have heard this in talking with other missionaries on the committee or that, ha that the missionary has uh, visited the committee. And a lot of churches don't have a plan. And there's been much appreciation stressed 
um, to the Calvary Baptist Church Missions Committee. Um, so he's coming. They're coming next week. So then what? Part number six, the missions committee to the deacons. What happens here? If the interview that's happening next Sunday with you as a church family, and the missions committee is meeting with the Shriocks as well next week. If the interview is satisfactory, uh, the missions committee will make a recommendation to the deacons to support this candidate. And that, that now can't happen until after next Sunday evening service. You're going to have Sunday morning and Sunday night to evaluate the Shriocks. Aaron Triox is going to preach the morning message and exposition to see how careful he is with the text. And in the evening, he wants his whole family up here, and they're going to share their, their ministry. He just wants you to get to know his daughters and his wife, and, uh, and there'll be some Q&A time and just an explanation of what's involved in Bible translation. So it's going to be a real exciting night. If that goes well, the missions committee will make a recommendation to the deacons to support this, uh, that the missionary committee, missions committee supports it, and then number seven, deacons will come to the congregation and make a recommendation to the congregation at a, at a, at a called business meeting. There, has, there doesn't have to be a two-week advance notice to this. You know from this tonight that there's potential of, of an of a upcoming business meeting after a morning service. Okay, And then it's up to the congregation. You make the final decision. We've done all our work by that point. You'll vote according to the CBC Constitution, which requires a majority vote. If the vote's positive, I will communicate that to the Shriocks. So that's the process, and you can see where our blue dot is. It's hovering over there, number five, as we come into next week. We've gone above and beyond what the policy requires by putting together that information packet for you, including his doctrinal statement and you guys are taking those. Someone's taking those and reading them because we've had to restock it twice now. Uh, a couple more um, observations here, just so you know where we are. Um, little little side note here, and I might come back to this in a moment as well. Whenever a CBC missionary changes fields or a mission board, after they're already one of our missionaries, if they change their field or their mission board, their new work must be in line with our priority grid because that's the contractual um, relationship we entered with with them is that uh, they said they were going to be doing this kind of work in this particular country, and that's what we prayed about. So um, their new mission board and a new mission field must still fit the mission's policy. They must submit such information to the pastors and missions committee for evaluation. The missions committee will make a recommendation to the deacons who in turn will keep the congregation informed as well. Um, we, 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 we're doing that currently with one of our missionaries. There's a change in fields, and we've given them a two-year window to get acclimated to their new ministry and their new field. But they know in two years we're going to come and ask for an accounting of how that's gone and is it still in line philosophically with, uh, with what they intended it to be and what we're, we were led to believe. Uh, as far as missionary retirement, this is a sensitive issue. I just want to um, be careful that we communicate this. We have before to you, but as I said, it's been several years. CBC missionaries will be strongly encouraged from the time of this policy. This doesn't mean we're going back and doing this with all the previous missionaries, unless it's possible. But the ones that we take on on our watch, we're communicating this to them. CBC missionaries will be strongly encouraged to participate in a systematic retirement savings program made available through their mission boards and or other financial institutions. 
And we're communicating with new missionaries we've taken on now on our watch that the plan will not be for our church to continue to support them upon retirement in several districts. So um, we're being clear in communicating that, and, uh, at, and we're not the only church that's, that's doing that now because there's been a long layer of missionaries who didn't make provisions for retirement, and, and it's just difficult to drop them when they retire and they come off the field because we've loved them for decades. And, and uh, actually, um, there, there's been one missionary that we thought we were going to drop their support and we found out of some needs in the last month and a half, and um, Andy and Aaron are like, let's just let's just tap the brakes here. They took a vote with the missions committee uh, just this weekend to rediscuss that in October, just to be careful, because we don't want to slam anyone to the ground. It's an older generation. We just want to be careful. But from here on out, we're saying you need to show due diligence to provide for yourself in retirement. And... Uh, um, whether a church is doing what we're doing or not, most churches drop missionaries just like that when they retire. They just drop them. Some will continue support for maybe 30%, maybe 20%, which isn't awful. Uh, that's better than, than going not going down to zero when you're the one receiving the funds. Um, but there's a lot of missionaries that didn't make provisions for their retirement for decades, and then they find themselves, for whatever reason, back home, and their stream of revenue is gone. Um, and it's just so we want to help those the future generation of missionaries that are going out now. So when it, in a couple decades when they come home, they have made provisions. And the mission board—it's not just us doing this. The mission boards are being much more diligent about this as well. What are our missionary support goals? There's a couple words that I want to highlight on this. Okay, the missionary support goals. We have three categories: those that are sent from inside CBC. Uh, they're 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 coming out. They're one of us. They're members here. They're being discipled here. And they have to have been a member for no less than 24 months. What's our support level goal? Our support level goal is at least $300 a month. Now, please hear me. We're not saying only $300 a month. Don't read that. Don't hear that. This could be $1,000 a month if it's up to the congregation. It's up to you. Um, but we don't want to go anything less than 300 for someone coming out of our midst, there's an argument, and I think there's a lot of value to it, of going heavy, as heavy as we possibly can, and break out in a sweat, for someone that God calls out of our midst, where they're sending church, and we'd like for them to spend most of their time here when they're back in the States. So our first priority in missions will be those whom the Holy Spirit calls out from our midst, just like Antioch in Acts chapter 13. Then there's a category from outside CBC, Okay. This is what's happening next Sunday. The Shryocks are from John MacArthur's church, Grace Community Church, or that's who their sending church was. Um, I, I don't think they still attend there. I, I, I'm, I don't recall that detail, Aaron. Aaron, do you recall that detail? Or okay, I didn't either. Um, but that's their sending church. So they, you know, Grace Community is going to come in heavy with their support. Um, but here's, here's what we're facing next week because they're not from our church. We're not sending them out. Our recommendation is at least $150 a month. Please remember how to read that. That's not they will get $150 a month. Uh, that's the lowest our, our, our missions committee conscience can go. We can go as high as we want as a congregation with them. Okay? Um, if you want to do 600 or f I mean, we have to have the money to give to them, and we have money to give right now um, in our missions program. But uh, we are 
eager to assist our CBC missionaries by reducing the number of churches they need to visit for support and reporting. If that's the case, then we want to take, um, take them on as high. Now, if we had to line up someone going out from our midst at the same time as someone coming in seeking support from another church, we're going to go heavier here, obviously. And, and so please see that this is the starting point, not the ending point. And then there's a third category that's kind of unique. It's from missionary units called families or individuals, and it's organizations. Whether foreign or domestic, we desire to join together with other churches to support important specialized ministry organizations like orphanages, like biblical counseling centers, like seminaries or Bible colleges or camps or whatever. And our goal for that is at least $100 a month. We don't go as heavy there as we do with individuals. Um, that's just more of a token, not a token support, but we're on board with you. We believe in you, and we want to get behind you kind of thing. But those organizations are not carrying the weight at the level of an individual family unit that needs to survive financially overseas or, or here domestically. Those are our starting goals, but please understand those numbers can go much, much higher. Um, we're almost finished here, and then we'll, we'll close in prayer. But let me just remind you that according to our policy, there are some contingencies regarding our support. The following are specific matters that may impact the continued contractual support from our CBC family. The pastors, missions committee, and deacons will evaluate each situation on an individual basis and make appropriate recommendations to you, the congregation. What are some of these issues? Well, if, as I've already mentioned, these first two, there's a field change or a board change. Well, that opens the book again. Are they still in line with us and still um, are we behind them and this board? And what's the nature of this board? That kind of leads to the third thing. It could be that they don't change boards, but the board they're under has a theological shift. And what would we do then? Well, we, we would have to reevaluate. Can we support that board, that mission board, if they take a doctrinal shift? Um, we've had to look into something once, at least since I've been here, and that's woke doctrine, potentially, with a mission board. And we had to do some homework on that. I mean, we the missions committee is looking into this kind of thing with existing boards, or if they go to a different board, we have to study that new board. Um, another thing that opens the books up for renegotiation is retirement. Um, and have they made provisions for that? What's their plan in retirement? Like, you try to tell me that Dr. Bob Cropsey is retired. Go ahead, try to convince me that he's retired. According, on paper, he's retired, but he's still recruiting like a bandit. And he's still doing surgeries overseas. And, 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 and yeah, I don't have to talk you into that. But there are others that go into retirement and, and, and off the screen, okay? And, and I'm not saying that's bad. I mean, some people, because of health or age, they have to. But we, we need to lean into that. Um, incapacitation due to an injury or, or uh, and, and it could be a bodily injury it could be a cognitive injury um, or illness uh, we have to evaluate that um, are they going to stay on the field or do they need to come home are we part of that um, decision with them and their board well we are where they're sending church another one that means we have to lean in and evaluate is the death of a spouse. What's that going to mean? If it's the husband or if it's the wife who's passed, what's their plan? And uh, we have had to lean into this one not a few times, um, I'd say two or three times since I've been here. And uh, 
you know, what does that mean? And sometimes you'll get a letter from the mission board that uh, with the death of a spouse, the surviving spouse is technically retired as far as our board is concerned. Well, what are you going to do with that? You say, well, then cut off the support. There's a lot to consider still. Our missions committee has committed to erring on the side of grace. You know what they've done twice in the last um, two or three years? When a spouse has died in both situations, it was the husband. The missions committee says, we're going to leave the wife, no matter what the missions committee or what the mission board communicates to us, we're going to leave the wife on full-time missions support for at least one calendar year from the time that they were widowed. And that's just what they do here. That's just what our missions committee does. That's the size of their heart. And, uh, and then we'll evaluate it after that. A lot comes together, and you get a clear picture after a year. But in any, every case, we're going to err on the side of grace. What else? Well, if there's a doctrine shift in a significant doctrine connected to uh, Scripture or the miraculous or, or the gospel or things like that, well, we're going to evaluate that because we haven't changed. They would have changed in our contact sh- on contractual language. Um, prolonged sabbatical. We've seen, I've seen this in our previous church too where a, a mission unit will go on a sabbatical and it will just keep going and going and going and going a year, two years. Um, and we're still sending them support. We're going to step in there and reevaluate that and see what else is going on, working closely with no doubt they're sending church pastors. If a, if a missionary doesn't stay in good communication with us, that's part of our contract talk with them, and that would open the door up. If you're not going to communicate with us in a meaningful way, in a regular way, then we're going to reevaluate our support of you. That's a common courtesy and a contract issue. Um, and then integrity failure course, if there's a moral failure or a financial failure or a character failure, we would reevaluate that, working closely with the sending church pastor. Special missions projects, just a couple comments I want to make here. This is in the policy. Uh, We want to be able to get behind, um, the missions committee wants to get behind short-term individuals needing support for vision trips. You've done that for me in sending me to Indonesia. And I pray we'll do that again soon with some of a couple family units out here. Number two, ABF classes, adult Sunday school classes, appealing for support of projects or individuals. Let's say Phil Grimet's class wants to, they find out that uh, uh, one of our missionaries has a, has a, just a project they're working on, a printing project or something like that. And they, as a Sunday school class, want to take that on. Let the missions committee know and tell us what's on your heart and we'll get behind you, okay? Uh, we just don't want you to redouble someone else's efforts or, or there might be another need coming up that you might not be aware of. We just want to be in part of that conversation. Short-term teams needing support. This is, uh, this is Mark and Charlene. Uh, we tried to give them support, and they continued to wave us off. They're so gracious. But I just want to say, if God puts it on your heart to go on a short-term trip, talk to us pastors. Talk to the missions committee, and we'll get behind you. Um, and want to be an encouragement to you. And, of course, the youth mission trips, haven't done that in a while, and, and uh, Pastor Michael is talking more and more about that. So that's our missions committee policy that we have been operating under. I, uh, I wanted to give that to you before next week. Next week is a very important time for our church family. And I want you not just to understand Bible translating more and, and be able to prayerfully vote if it comes to a vote um, for the Shryocks, 
But I, I hope that what you hear and see next week in the morning and the evening service, God will use in your life to kind of maybe shake you up a bit and shock you as to what God might have in store for you, short-term or long-term. Um, there's a supplement to this packet. I'm just going to give you the points. That's it. There are some doctrinal positions and implications that we hold dear that we wouldn't want a missionary to go off on and start teaching these on the field, things like hyper-Arminianism or hyper-Calvinism. Uh, 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 the teaching that one English translation is the only one that God has for the English language. That's different than being having one that you prefer. It's saying, no, this is the only one. We wouldn't want someone on the field who teaches that God is continuing to give fresh revelation, either in an ecstatic language or in English. We call that cessationism, um, or we call that position continuationism. We would be cessationalist historically. Um, we do hold as a church to the young earth interpretation of creation. We hold to complementarianism when it comes to men and women, not egalitarianism. We don't hold to ecumenical evangelism where we'll go shoulder to shoulder with a Catholic and say we're working, we're giving the same gospel. We're not. Um, so these are some things that are, are precious to us, and we vet during the questioning. And uh, I think that's all I'm going to give you this evening. I, I want to be careful with your time this, this week. But that's our missions committee, missions policy. If you want a copy of this, you can email the church office, and we'll just send you a copy. It's not a secret document. I've been through it before, but it's been five or six years. And we need you to be praying through this as we go into next weekend. So there you go. Why do we do this? Why do we go through all this? Why do we want to be so organized? Is it rigid? Well, it's structure. But just like your financial budget, your, your financial budget gives you freedom because of the structure. You can, you can make exceptions to it, and you can, you can steer it here and there, but you can't do that if you don't have structure. Everything's just freewheeling at that point got to have structure, and the gospel is worthy of it. Why? Because we feel strongly that we want to glorify God, who's right here, by making disciples of the nations in a very intentional, strategic, tactical way as a community of grace. So that's why we take this so seriously, and we're excited for you to be part of next week, get to know this family. Would you stand with me as we close in a word of prayer, please? Lord Jesus, thank you for this time to, as a church family, remember how we do missions, even why we do missions. Thank you for bringing all the many new members since we went through this last time, and now they, they're, they're, they understand now. They're, 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 they're understanding what they're a part of as far as how to touch the nations with the gospel. Lord, I pray that you'll use not just tonight, but especially next Sunday to call some of our people to the field so we can be ascending church for long-term or short-term missions. Stir up, Lord, by your spirit in this church what you did in Antioch. Send out our strongest and our best. And Lord, we will trust you with that and rejoice in that. Be with the Shriocks as they come and evaluate us as a church. Do they want us as ascending church too? And and I pray that next weekend will be a retreat to all four of their hearts, Lord. And, and may everyone here feel ownership in this local church and the advance of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom and the king to our neighborhoods 
and out to the nations. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.